Hello, and welcome to episode 88 of Desi Books, news and views about Desi literature from the world over. I'm your host, Jenny Bart. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we have a new Desi Reads segment with the poet Ria Pao reading from her collection, Routes. Ria Pao is a British-born poet of Indian heritage from a community that has a rich history of migration. She writes to chronicle the stories of her community and narrate the exploration of her own identity through the lenses of travel, food, ritual, and language. Ria was the platinum poetry winner of the 2021 Creative Future Writers Award, published in November 2022. Routes is her debut collection and has already been awarded a Society of Authors Eric Gregory Award. The book commemorates 50 years since Ria's family and community arrived in the UK. Routes chronicles the migratory histories of Ria Pao's ancestors and community, simultaneously laying bare the conflicts of identity that arise from being a member of the East African Indian diaspora. As the poems included in Routes journey from Bar's Kitchen in Sonia Gardens to Independence Hour in Delhi, and across the pink shores of Nakuru to Lee High Road, the collection poses one central question. What is worth holding on to? On a personal note, and in full transparency, while Ria and I do not know each other, her publisher had approached me last year for a book blurb, and because I loved this collection and so much resonated with my own Gujarati diasporic and immigrant background, I was more than happy to do so. Um, I'll share that here. Uh, this is what I wrote. Ria Pau's collection is a feast of language and probably the first with such inventive and delightful use of Gujlish, which, you know, is this hybrid Gujarati and English um, dialect, if you like, from India's independence struggle to the global pandemic, Pau maps the political and emotional landscapes of her immigrant Gujarati family, bringing their many worlds to life through unforgettable sights, sounds, and sensations. With richly diverse and experimental storytelling, this collection reimagines and reinterprets the many possibilities and meanings of identity, diaspora, belonging, and community for South Asian immigrants everywhere. And now, here's Ria Pau. A transcript of some of the excerpts is also up on the Desi Books website. And we have some lovely musical interludes accompanying the readings this time from a band called Third Culture Collective, 
Ria's brother, Kavit Pal, is the vocalist. In the spring of 2020, the pandemic coursed through London's care homes, taking with it some of the few surviving memories of our community's epic tricontinental migration. Roots began as an effort to chronicle this history, documenting the joys and struggles of upheaval, rerouting and reinvention. The release of this collection marks 50 years since my family and much of our community arrived in the UK. To understand who we are and how we got here, you must first understand that our history is deeply entangled with the history of this country. For over a century, our migratory patterns have been determined by colonial pressures, namely the colonisation and resource extraction of the South Asian subcontinent, the movement of indentured labourers from India to East Africa and other colonies, the Indian independence movement, the partition of India as drawn up by the British, the rise of East African nationalism following independence from the British, and the expulsion of Asians from Uganda that ensued. It holds, as a result of the role Britain has played, and independent of our status as citizens, that diasporic history is British history. Our telling of it belongs in British literature and in school curricula. We must assert this against the narrative tides. Silverware. From the sun they descend, Queens and queens and queens. This achar, this mustard oil red lemon sunset is an empire. Our sons, a flavour of royalty, planting flags in the laundry. He wears white on white on white in protest. I wear palaces of silver at my wrists, shining wild like the daring of my mother's. Queens crossing seas, building empires, spoonful by spoonful by dazzling spoonful. Departure Lounge In those days, your loved ones could see you off from the runways. You see them shrinking fast, holding on to promises suddenly indistinguishable to call, to write, to send money. Holding on to the land you call home while you rattle through the air in a tin plane, hollow as the cola cans boys kick down the dirt tracks, sweat gleaming on the black muscle of their backs. No welcome party at Heathrow. Only long looks at your tea-stained skin Arm hairs raised, nine yards, not enough to keep your body from shaking. Holding on to a suitcase of wool and murtis, incense and coconut shell, red tilak to anoint your new home. Outside, the air is cold and dry, and you think to yourself, how can this be the same star-studded night that blinds the Serengeti? Through the 70s, planes flock from Bawindi and the Masai Mara, migrating bloodlines of Saurashtra reconvene in London, depart, 
bilingual with clammy palms and first flyer nerves, arrive tongue-tied, mouths filled with broken glass, shards of English. No welcome party at Heathrow, but you feed them rotly shark, let them stay two by two in your one bed on Greenford High Road, sprawled on plastic sofas, battling the heavy-headedness that comes only from taking leaps so big they cross oceans. You will share a home with them again in your 80s. And in that home, where they serve rotli shark, open the morning with incense and pudgeon. A generation is fed and washed by the same hands. A chorus of stories tells a history of the gold they buried in ginger. Ruthless dictators, fickle empire, first flyer nerves, brown woolen jumpers of immigrant Britain. In days, eight decades are quietly erased. Breathless voices, grieving for those days when your loved ones could see you off from the runways. When my ba and Bapuji moved to the UK in the 70s, they never suspected that their grandchildren would not be fluent in their mother tongue. That instead, we'd hold clunky, grammar-backward sentences like marbles in our mouths. Words are the smallest unit of discourse and imagination. And without a breadth or precision of vocabulary, we have been left with a tepid understanding of one another. Across the South Asian diaspora, I find our intergenerational relationships malnourished in this absence of language. Although we cannot name the loss, we do our best to fill it with rituals of cut fruit, oily, earth-fragrant head massages, summer riches of puri and pulped saffron mangoes, and the enthralling melodies of kavali and girtan. All this is to confess that although as a child I was well-steeped in culture, I learnt much of my history in translation. Bapuji was a mighty man, a freedom fighter in the independence movement, and yet I frequented India most often through the white man's gaze, watching Ben Kingsley's portrayal of Mahatma Gandhi, reading Kipling and Theroux, studying the British Raj from whitewashed curricula, and even experiencing my first backpacking trip through the country with two white male university friends. Bandhani. When I was small, I spoke two languages. At school, proper English, pruned and prim, tip of the tongue taps roof of the mouth. Delicate lips, like lace frilling rims of my white cotton socks. At home, a heady brew, Gujarati, Hindi, Swahili, swim in my mouth, tie-dye my tongue with words like bandhani. Now I am grown, I have enough vocabulary to talk about eggs, 
boiled, scrambled, fried. And enough vocabulary to talk about mangoes, Alfonso, Badami, queso. But tell me, how do you say mitai in English without the letter ta? Without pushing your tongue off the shores, without consonants hustling in the orchestra bazaar of your mouth? How do you say mitai in English without tasting the orange of saffron thread, without knowing the sweetness of fennel seed? or the warmth locked in wombs of cardamom pods. The tongues of my childhood are smudgy, traceable, untranslatable. Enough. My grandmother houses gods in her closet, among tower blocks of cereal boxes and canned chickpeas, so we may always know enough. She stews landscapes with the windows closed, wills the extractor fan to take her home. Generations drift, climbing ladders that raise you as an only child. Language limps ashamed in the mouth. We fill silence with sucker and gleaming jewels of pomegranate. Love is a miner's purple hands, for we have lost the words for indigo and magenta. Lust and rage are faded characters. At the margins I find her, at the post office, queuing for stamps. Returning lyrics to the radio, songs of abundance heard on the static, some place even she has forgotten. Lord, how do I cross this abyss? We did not brave the seas, sever the limb of belonging for this. To whom can I confess? I am grateful, but this is not enough. Bring me the ragas. Bring me the mirrored midnight kumar. Bring me Kavali under the heat of the marigold sun. Bapuji was born in Kenya, but moved to India in the 1940s to become a freedom fighter in the independence movement. He spent time living at Gandhi's Sabarmati Ashram, where he trained as a social worker and travelled across the country, participating in protests and sit-ins, which often turned violent. He was lathi charged by British soldiers on multiple occasions, and in one incident, he was shot in the leg. In the 1970s, Bapuji moved our family to the UK, where he dedicated his remaining years to community service, and in the 90s was awarded membership of the British Empire, an MBE by the Queen, an accolade of which he was exceptionally proud. His is just one story in a generation of British Asians who lived through British India, independence and partition, and still celebrated the Queen's Jubilee. Conversations with our elders, 
suggests that they do not find these realities conflicting. They have compartmentalised fragments of their identity in order to survive. For me, writing Roots has been a process of holding these fragments up to the light, laying them down on a page, and acknowledging the overlapping narratives and the silent spaces in between. It has been an exercise in gratitude, forgiveness, and exploration. On shame. You show me shame at the Red Sea. Say, God does not hear us until the tides go out. For nine moons, we are sacred until you birth a daughter. Then we are shame, marked with moons of gargoyle at our cheeks. At birth, we learn never to be a fool of beauty. From scripture, we learn pious women are possessions to be won by valiant archers or lost in the dice halls of Hastinapur. If even the king of the gods cannot comprehend consent, what hope is there for the devils who disrobe us in the back seats of Delhi? It seems Gajal cannot save us from the evils of men which are vast and indefensible, so we learn it is best to be modest, to be unremarkable. That silence is safer. And yet, here we are being silently groped on the subway where sleight of hand milks you like a cow, except, unlike a cow, you are no longer sacred. In Kurukshetra, a woman's rage is ending a dynasty. And this commute is slowing me down. And so I think I will try rage and a blood-red pencil skirt and the monotony of urban backache. Heels make your legs look longer and long legs are a requirement to board this ghastly shuttle to success. And success, it seems, just might be the antidote. Except, at home, I still shave the shame between my legs, still metaphor, eat my shame at the sink, disfigured roti of possibility. My parents almost called me Kavita. What kind of poem could I have been? Our roots are both our foundations and our starting point for growth. Our roots are the journeys that follow, a set of converging, diverging, intersecting possibilities. I hope that readers use this book as a root, a starting point from which they are emboldened to express and interrogate their histories. It is only by examining history that we can begin to answer what is worth holding on to, what memories, what stories, what truths. When we piece these together, what is the narrative we choose to tell? To reclaim our narrative is to change the way we see ourselves, to assert our place in this society, to celebrate our victories and hold ourselves accountable to our failures and to lay the groundwork for the roots of those still to come. To me, this is the work to be done by our community and I hope this book can be one of many tools in this journey. 
You've been listening to episode 88 of Desi Books. News and views about Desi literature from the world over. I'm your host, Jenny Bart. Thank you for tuning in. Today, in the Desi Reads segment, we had Ria Pau reading from her poetry collection, Routes. Episode 89 will be up shortly. Follow on Twitter at Daisy Books, Instagram at Daisy.Books, Facebook at Daisy Books FB. Tag the accounts if you have any requests or suggestions. And please go to the website, DaisyBooks.co, if you'd like to sign up for the free weekly newsletter. And please share this via social media to support the poet and help raise the tide of South Asian literature. Stay healthy, keep reading, and write well.